gentlemen, welcome back to the East Go to 11. Once again, I'm Nathan Bell. Greg Dutch is sitting across from me. Greg, what's going on, dude? Love special editions, man. I, I'm confused, though, Nathan. I, I don't know if I should be, like, wearing a uh, uh, a political candidate mask <laughs> and go out trick-or-treating, or if I should be, like, holding a, a hammer and nails on a, on a faux <laughs> Wittenberg church door. That's what I love about October 31st. Greg, put on a Captain America outfit and go to that door. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I like it, dude. We'll fuse together. That's right. Um, so excited about tonight. We're going to get to our guests in just one moment. But quick word from our sponsor, Olive Tree. Olive Tree. Dude, how do I mix it up, man? Because we've been going back and forth with Olive Tree, Mission Aware. Uh, maybe a song, dude, like Olive Tree, very pretty. And right, just the, stick to the script. Oh, yeah, that's bad. Right. That's a, I think that's a lemon tree anyway, isn't it? Herb, Al, Herb Albert and the Tijuana Brass uh, going way back there. Yeah, Olive Tree doesn't want that. So um, sorry about that, Olive Tree. Olive Tree Bible Software. Uh, what can I say? Used it again this weekend. We've moved into a uh, new building Yeah. And uh, at our church in uh, recent weeks. And Nathan, you know, that's been a blast. You've been a big part of that. You and, and Joy have been here. Uh, you know, getting the nursery and kids area set up as I saw you this past weekend. Uh, here's an awesome thing of all the things I have to worry about. I don't have to worry about my Bible software. Nice. Um, in fact, it's synced instantaneously with our system here. Mm-hmm. Cause if you have an iPad an iPhone an Android device, a tablet, whatever you have on olive tree, boom, just transferred it. I will sometimes go to another device and sign into my account. Mm-hmm. I can access my library, my own personal study notes uh, across multiple platforms. And, man, there are always great books on sale, always great resources, uh, Bible, maps, concordances, commentaries, encyclopedias, and so on and so on. Enter SUSTAIN, the word SUSTAIN, in their promo code for a special discount. And we are thankful to partner with Olive Tree. Awesome. Um, and... Diving right in, we have uh, Calvinist Colson joining us again. Uh, so excited. Phil, how are you doing today? Good. How are you guys? We're doing great, man. We're excited yeah. to have you back, excited to uh, be talking about the Reformation. What's been going on in the, uh, the world of the Avengers since the last time we uh, talked to you? Yeah, we want real inside information, Agent Colson. <laughs> I don't want something I could find on E! Online. I want inside info. Or you might have to kill us if you tell us, but just take the risk. Well... I, I don't know. Let's see. Do I have my gun here? Yeah. <laughs> we already did the gun podcast. No, if you're uh, if you're watching the show, uh, Shield has been reauthorized, so we are back officially. Yes, um, nice. And uh, there's a, a guy with a flaming skull running around. So we're trying to figure that out. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, crazy, crazy. And it's not uh, it's not Nicolas Cage this time, huh? No, thank God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, with Nicolas Cage, it was hard to tell when he was in and out of costumes in the playing skull, but that might have been a different different deal you know, altogether. The the first one was entertaining. The the second Ghost Rider movie, I got about twenty minutes into it and I had to shut it off. Yeah. <laughs> I just couldn't what? do it. You made it that far? Twenty minutes. I made it I was I was trying. I was really trying. (laughs) Oh, I can't do this. I don't think Cage's uh, immediate family made it 20 minutes into the second round. Amazing he did. Yeah, I know. (laughs) When you've had that advanced special training you've had, Agent, you're able to endure things mortal men can't. So we appreciate you taking it on the chin for the rest of us on that one. You're Um, welcome. Yeah, you know what, dude? I got to say, 
of all my superhero watching, and I'm shaming myself here, Agent Coulson, I have not, of all the shows I've watched, watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Have you, Mr. Bell? Uh, I've watched uh, certain episodes of it. Okay. So but but you're not a regular. I'm not. I will typically watch the crossover episodes that they do that coincide with the movies. Yes. Yes. Oh, you're missing out. Man, yeah. I know I a know. lot of people that love it. And dude, from, from what I'm hearing, uh, am I right on this, Agent, <clears throat> that they, they are sequenced very purposely? Right, that things happening in the seasons relate to the movies that have been made, the ones that are coming up, etc. Yeah, yeah. So that's been kind of true leading up to Winter Soldier. Yeah, and that was the big thing because mm-hmm. the, the the criticism was that um, it was a slow moving show, but once Winter Soldier happened, then it just took off okay. because that's what they that's what they were waiting for. Gotcha. Mm-hmm. And from what I understand, uh, the Ghost Rider storyline that's going on now is going to lead into and be largely explained by Doctor Strange, which is coming up next month. Oh, fascinating! Yeah, Doctor Two Strange. Two weeks. Yeah, I was going to say. The, yeah. In fact, isn't November fourth? Yeah, right. November fourth, man. Yeah. Wow, that got here fast. Didn't I it? know. So uh, now, how are you feeling, uh, Agent Colson, about the early vibe on uh, Mr. Cumberbatch's portrayal of such an enigmatic character? Are you? Oh, I'm excited. Yeah, I'm so excited. that man is a, a, a phenomenal actor. I agree. Mm-hmm. Uh, such a, a talented individual. It's it's a, it's a shame that he hates God. Yeah, uh, yeah. But God has talented that man so much. Yeah. Yes. Um, we just watched uh, the Imitation Game. Last oh, night yes. on Netflix, yeah, and uh, I was really hesitant to watch it because I had heard that it had become kind of a gay propaganda film. But yeah. um, oh, amazing, amazing story! And he just did an amazing job with that character. Need to see that one. It's on my yeah. queue. Have you seen it? Nathan? I have. Yeah. yeah, Joy and I went to see it in theaters. Yeah. Really enjoyed it. And um, you know, Joy said that she enjoyed it up until about halfway through, mm-hmm. where the the homosexual agenda really started being pushed heavier. Mm-hmm. I, I say, I, I'd say I enjoyed it right up until uh, the credits where they started yes. going back and, you know, recapping his life story. That wasn't actually his life story, but it was a story that was told through a friend of mm-hmm. a friend who did the biography. So, okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, I, right. I didn't follow it, but I heard that was the critique that there is a, and, and and a lot of times, look, I mean, right? We would all agree. Every movie, any any um, any fictional work, any story, mm-hmm. there's some agenda in it because mm-hmm. I think we're not free of agenda. Just a question when the agenda hijacks the movie, right? And exactly. It's always tricky to know sometimes when that happens. Sometimes it's the way different people experience it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Uh, Did when, I call the right podcast? Is this is this the pop culture ninja? Right. <laughs> Yeah, I was. Bartleball sure. when we need him, man. <laughs> Bartleball would come in and tell us who like the key grip was and the and the chief gaffer, whatever that is, uh, and, and all those important positions, uh, you know, in the uh, in the rafters that take place. The the good news is, Greg. Before all of that, we were doing ours. Yes, absolutely, man. We were, we were long before Mister Bartleball showed up. But you two have taken it to a new level. We have. I mean, you haven't taken it to 11. That's our job. That's right. But you're a solid 10. That's right. (laughs) We'll take it. We'll take it. Um, So, Phil, I got to tell you, uh, you know, as we've been talking, 
we try to let the these go to 11 phone ring. Um, but yeah. I noticed that a voice message was left. Oh, man. Now, you have faced some of the, you know, most despicable villains of all time. You know, uh, talk about Loki. Oh, man. You know, talk about um, you have Ultron. You know, you've just faced some of, you know, the most uh, horrible people out there. Uh, we've got one more for you. Yeah. Uh, and he left a voice message. And, and he may be coming for you, so we're going to go ahead and play this for you, and uh, and let you and let you hear what he has to say. Brace yourself, Agent. Oh, friends, it's uh, Reverend James King of the James King King James Bible believing, teaching, preaching ministries. Friends, I had made a vow that I would not one more time call this godless cesspool of a podcast. <laughs> Friends, I got so busy doing the Lord's work. I'll get to that in a moment, friends. I was going to let these two complete imbeciles just lead themselves in their little endless game of blind leapfrog right onto the edge of Hellfire's Lake. (laughs) Friends, well, that's undoubtedly still going to happen, but not without another warning from yours truly. Friends, just when I thought these absolute fools... Couldn't blaspheme anymore. They invite onto their anti-God cast. Now, friends, mind you, not one time. I'm calling in tonight because I've gotten word the second time some absolute idiot named Calvinist Coulson. Let me tell you, friends, about Calvinist Coulson. First of all, apparently this man has a, a, a adopted name uh, after some uh, a tight, short parent women tights-wearing nincompoop that loves to dance around and prance around with men in other tights and short pants. That's right, friends. I've talked about the uh, godless Avengers before and how they are leading children right into homosexuality. But, friends, please understand that this uh, so-called Calvinist Coulson uh, has nothing courageous about him at all, friends. He, He hides, probably living in his mama's basement, living on Hot Pockets, and uh, staring into his little computer screen and uh, putting out little things about Calvinism. Uh, friends, let me let me tell you about Calvinists. I haven't told you in some time. Calvinists love to see people die and go to hell. In, in, in fact, friends, I believe the Calvinist wakes up every morning with one grand ambition. To see somebody die and go to hell. That's right, friends. And uh, you might say to me, well... Come on now, Reverend King, aren't you being a little hard? I'm not being hard at all, friends. You can't be a Christian and a Calvinist. (laughs) Friends, that's like saying you can be a Christian and a Democrat. (laughs) Friends, what fellowship hath light with darkness, has Christ with Belial? What what fellowship has uh, Sandy Patty with Katy Perry? Friends, none at all. (laughs) Let me tell you, my friends, this... uh, this so-called secret <laughs> agent, Phil Coulson. Oh, I got a secret for you, Mr. Coulson. And I'm going to reveal it right now. There is a spit-turning, empty right now, rotating 24-7, 365, from here through the end of eternity in the pit of hell. And, oh, I cannot wait to see you hoisted on to that barbecue pit. <laughs> Just a matter of time, friends, to all the godless, like, silly Calvinist coasting or cleared out like the debris on trash day. 
Friends, you say, what about hope? Friends, I will give a little sign of hope. I doubt they'll take me up on it. But these three nincompoops tonight, these three absolute blaspheming heretics can still be saved, friends. If they would call on the name of the Lord Jesus, they would repent and have deeds in keeping with repentance. That's the key, friends. There has to be deeds, friends. And what would that deed look like at such a time as this, friends? It's only one thing. Our country is being eaten away from the inside out. Our country is being more eaten up more quickly than the hot buttered biscuit tray at Sizzler. Friends, <laughs> let me tell you right now. These fools, if they confess their faith in the Lord Jesus and demonstrate that faith by campaigning for the best friend of the Lord Jesus on planet Earth right now, <laughs> Donald Jonathan Trump. Man, who could be more godly in these dark times than Donald Jonathan Trump. Oh, why don't you think about that little secret agent Coulson? And you two absolute bows of must sitting right next to him. Uh, why don't you take off your tights and your short pants and put on a pair of godly pressed polyester pants and get ready, friends, because the Lord Jesus is coming soon. Amen. Wow. Wow, man, Colson, are you all right, man? Have you have you absorbed the shock of that personal attack? Uh, man. Well, um, wow. Um, I don't know about you, dude. I'm quoting that in my upcoming sermon. What is it? Uh, this this country is being eaten up faster than the hot buttered biscuit tray at Sizzler. That's right. I mean, dude, you don't get that kind of exegesis from just anybody, right? No. There. Uh, the Reverend King still hasn't mowed his lawn. Yeah. <laughs> I, keep, I told him a couple of times he needs to mow his lawn. And Reverend King, if you're listening, um, you, you see that red dot out the window? Yeah. Hello. Oh, oh man. <laughs> I love it, man. A hey, shot over the bow. It, I love it. If you want to talk about somebody sitting in a basement eating Hot Pockets, um, yeah. Reverend King, we've seen your trash. Yeah. <laughs> and I, let me tell you, lean pockets are not good for you because they say lean. Yeah. <laughs> That's true, dude. That's like the uh, guy that orders two Big Macs, two extra large fries, and a small Diet Coke. <laughs> And, and when I say the guy does, I mean me. I, I've never really been sure that that small Diet Coke negates the effects of the other stuff. <laughs> you know, just just not so uh, sure. Wow, I mean, we haven't heard from Reverend King in a while. I though. know. He's closing blinds as we speak. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I see a little red dot, man. We can't say we blame him. Oh, my goodness. Oh, uh, that's funny. Um, so, so, Phil, uh, you know, apparently – the Reverend King knew what you were coming in to talk about. Yeah. So we do, we do want to get there and talk to you about it though. Um, you told us that, um, the last time you were on the show that you are a lover of history, a lover of church history. And so we thought last year we did a, um, Halloween special with, uh, Matt Smith, one of the regulars on here this past mm -hmm. year, we did one with Nathan Bartleball, um, focusing uh, more on the the modern day Halloween scene, and so we'd like to get your perspective on the Reformation, on Martin oh, sure. Luther, and kind of talk about the the ancient Halloween scene, if you will. Sure. Um, so, if you could go ahead and just kind of 
Um, talk to us about the significance of October 31st in church history. Uh, that you know, we're going to let you go ahead and start off and talk about that. Um, well, I, th- I think the first thing we need to acknowledge is that, like you know, other holidays like Christmas, um, there's myth and legend that goes into it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, there's there's some debate on whether or not uh, he actually nailed the 95 theses to the church door. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if he had that, that wouldn't have been altogether significant. That wouldn't have been, you know, like, Oh, what's, what's Reverend Luther doing? Right. Um, it, it, you know, that, that was a very common thing of a place to put things when you wanted to talk about them or for people to read. Um, and I believe in his preface, he talks about how he's mailing this to the bishop, how he's sending it to people to read. Uh, and, you know, it, it really is quite remarkable the time that God had chosen for this, because mm-hmm. had the those theses not been published without his knowledge, um, it's, it's very unlikely anybody beyond a few bishops would have read them. Mm. Interesting. And Phil, am I right on this? It has been some time, I mean, probably 20 years in seminary. And I, well, no, that's not true. About maybe 10 years ago, I did read a book by Heiko Obermann, which is um, one of the the standard biographies of Luther, of many, but it's, um, I think it's called Luther, Man Between God and Devil. And if I remember rightly, um, one of the uh, almost anticlimactic moments for the student of Reformation history today, if you expect to go to the 95 Theses and find just these gospel atomic bombs, uh, and, and, <laughs> yeah, you, and you yeah. kind of don't, you know what I mean? No, you don't. And I mean, and, and then I remember <clears throat> one of my church history profs saying the, the embryonic sort of uh, uh, stuff of Luther's later work is, is there, and it's significant, but uh, it, it is a little bit... Um, it, it, it's not the most inspiring reading, is it? No, no, it's not. In, in fact, he wrote years and years later towards the end of his life that looking back on that moment um, and, you know, for time after, he, he says, you know, I was not yet a Protestant. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, there are certainly inklings there as you read through it. But, um, you know, really, he he was very much a papist, even when he wrote those uh, those 95 statements. That's significant, isn't it? Because you're 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 getting a glimpse of what was coming, but still Luther pretty much steeped in yeah. medieval mm-hmm. institutional Catholicism. Yeah, and and that's that's a you know that's a that's a journey that I think we're all familiar with on some level, mm-hmm. um, because none of us start out where we are. Um, I, I I think about my own life, um, just you know, fifteen years ago. Um, or, you know, even 10 years ago. And I, and I say, I, I wish I could go back and, and shake some sense into myself. Mm. Um, the things that I wrote and believed <laughs> yeah, then. Yeah. And I think, oh, oh, no, someone grab that boy and shake him. <laughs> yes. 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 I, uh, I have often quoted to my church, uh, uh, Phil, that uh, I had this hot message, man, when I was like 17 years old preaching to 13-year-olds when I had just come to Christ when I was a 16-year-old. So that tells you a lot of things. 
Um, and I basically had the, I had two messages. I had one messages on one message on aliens, um, <laughs> and it was a well thought out, beautifully crafted, biblically nuanced position of aliens and other dimensions and other planets. Um, and I think I had some verse that I minimally <clears throat> related to all that. And then the other message was how God made you because He was lonely, um, and that God you know, God needed you, Phil. And so he made you, know, you. That was my message. So so much about you just suddenly made sense. <laughs> <laughs> Touche, brother. Touché. <laughs> yes, yes. It uh, those. So I look back on that, and I will say this: in my case, I look back. I was a genuinely newly converted believer. I've, I have no doubt of that. That uh, God had moved my heart and had. Mm-hmm regenerated me and awakened me to to uh to christ and, and new life but yeah you look back and you think wow could somebody burn um <laughs> the section of brains of all those now 30 somethings walking around yeah uh and forever you know forget that so uh i think that's an important point and um so as you've looked at luther's life phil what are what are some of the the key moments that stand out? Not just for him as a man before God, but as obviously he would come to be the spark, as it were, um, to uh, really uh, uh, turn the people of God back to the Bible, to faith alone, Christ alone. Um, just talk freely about that. We know that you uh, this is your bread and butter. Well, you know, Luther was very much a man of passion. Um, he was a very earthy theologian uh, if you read some of his illustrations yeah. <laughs> um he um he was very earthy and and very um very common in the way he illustrated things and talked about things and you know it it you know obviously his guilt had driven him so hard to where when he suddenly realized whether it was at a desk or, or in the privy, as the yes, legend goes, yes. um, that the just shall live by faith. Um, what a cathartic moment. Mm. And where did he get that? He, he got that from the scriptures. Yes. And, you know, one of, one of his biggest projects was to translate the Bible into German. Yeah. And, you know, that, that there, there was the, this, you know, in the background, this idea of ad fontes going to the sources. Mm-hmm. And so as Luther dug more and more into the Bible, um, so too did his views change, did his theology update. Um, and, you know, his his teaching and writing uh, come along. Yes, <clears throat> yes. You are so right, too, about those uh, colorful comments. I <laughs> remember reading uh, years ago his commentary on Mary's song, you know, the the uh the magnificat and she uh i mean he he was very affirming of her in that section but uh i mean there were several barbs at the pope with various names yep. and various colorful expressions and i remember a seminary professor i had phil said um i asked him about some of the great uh commentaries that that emerged in the reformation and he said well calvin's you will find more timeless um, he said a little less tied in, uh, not not exclusively, but a little less tied into the the issues of his own day. He said Luther's yeah. Luther's are very much wedded 
to uh, the situation at hand for him. So they're less timeless. And he said, but I personally find them more entertaining. Some of their props are not supposed to talk like that, which commentary is more entertaining, but he couldn't resist it with Luther. You know, what a uh, man's man. Huh? He was incredibly entertaining. And um, tragically, that, that also got him into trouble. Yes. Um, and, you know, some of the consequences of him being driven by passion and writing out of passion have reverberated out to, uh, to today. Um, I saw just on Twitter, um, yesterday, um, a, uh, I'll leave the brother's name out of it, but he had, he was a charismatic and he had mentioned how, you know, um, we, we, we reform people come down on charismatics, but we don't come down on Luther when he wrote such horrible things about the Jewish people. Mm-hmm. And yes, he did. Uh, he also later recanted of those views saying he had written too harshly. Um, but you know, that, that had come out of a lifetime of work with the Jews. He loved the Jewish people. He wanted to see them repent and, and, you know, not repenting was so frustrating to him that he wrote the things that he did. Yes. Yes. But he, he later came back and recanted of that. But, uh, you know, that's, that's a bit of an object lesson too, for us that, we can't just be driven by our feelings and our emotions and our frustrations. Yes. Yeah. And I, I, um, I remember reading, I think it was in Obermann's book, the thought that of course, and you can almost relate to Luther from the standpoint that, okay, he's looking at this mass uh, Jewish population in Germany and by extension Europe at, at the time there in the, uh, in the early 16th century. And here, um, you know, for years in his estimation, the gospel had been so eclipsed, if not absolutely covered up by mm-hmm. the perversions of, uh, you know, the whole medieval Catholic apparatus. And uh, naturally, you could almost relate, hey, once the gospel is unfettered and the uh, large Jewish population encounters not a corrupted, perverse um works-oriented view of the gospel, but the fresh gospel, of course they are going to come in great numbers, and they didn't. Uh, so he was encountering in many ways what uh, Paul himself was writing about in Romans 9, mm-hmm. you know, in 10, his heart. I mean, I think, uh, I guess we're safe to say, right, Phil, that Paul had a better response. <laughs> well, of course, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah it's one of those Luther wrote on the Jews and their lies. Paul wrote that he could wish that he himself were accursed, cut off from Christ for the sake of their salvation. Um, and that's not to say, oh, Paul was uh, sinless, but it, you, you, there was for him, like there is for me and all of us, a better modeled reaction. Um, but have you found, Phil, I like talking about Luther with people. Sometimes if it's, if it's the right setting, I can even do so evangelistically or by appeal. Maybe, obviously, somebody that knows something about him. Because you can kind of put, yeah, he was a dude, and he was he was pretty colorful, and at times he was uh, uh, immodest, and at times he was brazen, um, and and deeply emotional uh, and erratic, and yeah, look who God used um, mm-hmm. to clarify the critical doctrine of justification by faith. So, uh, but you're right, I, I like your caution there, Phil. I think there we have to be balanced. Uh, to make sure that we highlight he was a man and can't be looked to as a uh, as a perfect example. 
yet at the same time, he was a man, and look what God did with him. Exactly. Now, let me ask you something, because, you know, this is still an ongoing battle. You mentioned earlier that, you know, when when Luther um, put, you know, the 95 theses out there, that he was still Catholic. And from my understanding of history, he never really wanted to break from the Catholic Church, that no, the no. whole goal was for uh, reform and to to bring the church back to God. Do you think there's something for us in that today, Phil, with our Catholic church friends, brothers, sisters, whatever you want to call them? Well, it it depends on how you how you take that, because on the one hand, um, no, we can't have unity with Rome. Um, Trent was a decisive point of no return. Um, it wasn't like Trent was, you know, the, the council of Trent was some knee jerk reaction. Yeah. Right. Um, it was very thought out. It was very clear that they understood what the reformers were saying. And they said, no, if you believe these things, you are anathema. And so that, that wasn't so much as, as scooting the chair over a little bit. It was, it was building a wall and trying to make the Protestants pay for it. Um, it's a little political joke there. Um, <laughs> see, what, see what I did? Dude, I made it <laughs> yes, yes. You were going to say, make the institutional church great again. Yes. Right. Yeah. yeah. Make, make Catholicism great again. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but Trent was very much a watershed moment in that they separated themselves from the Protestants uh, forever. Yeah. And it, it's not like any of these things have changed. Right. They're still selling indulgences to this day. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's not like this was some shaming moment for them. And they're like, oh, okay, well, we'll rain Tetzel in. No, no, they, they, they continue to do it and they are, they're brazen about it. Um, and anybody who says that the differences between Rome and uh, Christianity don't matter anymore um, is, is ignorant of doctrine and ignorant of history. Mm-hmm. Mm. So uh, since we're on this, this this issue comes up regularly for me and not just the, the local church that I serve, but in day-to-day -day conversation. Uh, and I'm curious to get you, uh, maybe the, the way to do it, let me give you my take. Uh, feel free to say, no, Dutch, I think you're way off here, or, or you see it, but you would nuance it a bit. Um, this is what I, because everything you just said I'm in total agreement with. I, I don't think Vatican I or two did anything to negate the stark, chasm of difference between um, what the uh, what the Reformation clarified and what Rome sadly has all, all you know for, for almost since its inception um, uh, twisted and perverted so uh, of course I I believe and I've told people this that if you were if you sought to be saved by following Catholic dogma to the letter, uh, you would not be saved. I stand by that. I, it sounds to me you would say the same thing because you are not trusting in Jesus Christ as an all-sufficient Savior. Um, you are adding Jesus Christ to a host of other, to me, surrogate Christs that are basically embodied in the church and the sacraments, etc. So again, my emphasis there, as I say, on paper uh, this is anecdotal, 
But I meet people that identify with the Roman Catholic Church who I believe when I sit down with them at a coffee shop or I have them in my office by their profession. Obviously, the big caveat is I don't know their heart. But based on their profession, that they know Christ as Savior, I would always nuance that by saying they know Christ as Savior in spite of the doctrine of their church, um, which makes things messy um, because now we are in one sense saying, or I'm saying, uh, what is codified in Catholicism is clearly not the gospel. It is a corrupted, works-based approach to getting right with God. Um, And if um, uh, you say that, that's a strong statement. Uh, Yet, I do believe, sort of in the spirit in which when I, as I just said, when I was a new believer, if you extracted everything that was in my brain, I would have failed any doctrinal test. Um, So I sort of categorize some people like that, that they are regenerate based on their profession, of course. They know the Lord, uh, but they are clearly in need of good discipleship. Your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I, I I think I would uh, agree with you. I think that's that's uh, very correct. Um, you know, on on one hand, you you can't run away with ignorance of doctrine is an excuse, mm-hmm. right? Because and and I've run into those people as well where they say, well, th- this is what I believe and this is what my priest believes, and and. You know, in, in the first place, Rome is not as unified as they like to project. Yes, agreed. Um, and so in, in ignorance of, of one's stated doctrine um, is no excuse. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, usually a lot of times when I ha- uh, see those people or talk to those people, when at, at the appropriate moment, I'll say, well, you say you believe X, but your church teaches Y. Right. Why are you in your church? Yeah. Why are you a part of this? Um, because if the blood of bulls and goats was not sufficient to save anybody, um, a, a cracker and, uh, wine lifted up with some, uh, <clears throat> hocus pocus, Yeah. <laughs> just a side note, hocus pocus, that's where that comes from is, uh, because a lot of times the priests themselves did not know the mass. Yeah. Hmm. I think it's supposed to be, uh, hocus uh, I don't remember the Latin, but it's sure. basically uh, uh, supposed to be, you know, this the, the, the body of Christ or, or this is his body, uh, something to that effect. Um, but that is not going to save you. Right. Mm. Um, the gospel of Rome, if, if you trust in Rome, Rome's gospel, you, you will uh, find yourself in, in, in dire straits. Yeah. Um, but yes, there there are thankfully by God's grace those who are gloriously inconsistent. Yes, yes. Um, I what a great phrase, mm, Phil. Who who in spite of of everything Rome throws at them, um, have somehow in believed by grace alone through faith alone, and you you know in in situations like that where you know we have to trust the judge of the universe will do right. Yes. Yes, and uh, since that uh, that came up, do you feel, Phil, with this sort of special um, All Hallows Eve, Reformation Day uh, uh, feel that we're hopefully getting in this <laughs> podcast, uh, 
Luther's courage might be instructive here. In other words, because I agree, I think a lot of people would gravitate in the today's evangelical church, and I'm just speaking generally. Uh, a lot of people would gravitate to the the part where we were pretty open to self-identified Catholics being saved in spite of uh, harmful doctrines that they their church uh, uh, would hold to. Uh, but I think people would be less inclined to confront, <clears throat> uh, pardon me, I like how you use the phrase at the right time in the right way. Obviously, those are all the important caveats again. But to confront that person with the fact that, hey, your church is not going to help you uh, understand the glories of the gospel. Your church is not going to help you understand the exhaustive, limitless pool of God's grace that he's given you in Christ. Your church, at best, at best, um, might... um, you know, tell teach you a few things about Christ's life, uh, about his miracles, etc. But at worst, it could do much more damage. Uh, do you feel that perhaps that's where Luther's example and his willingness to take a firm stand, uh, as he did it uh, at Worms or Verms, um, was uh, has value for us to contemplate today? Absolutely, uh, especially in the culture that we find ourselves, where. Um, a certain minority of people have demanded that we walk on eggshells around them and give them safe spaces and um, never say anything offensive. We have to, of course, take the offensive. You know, they can say whatever they want about us, but we have to be on eggshells. Um, Yeah, Luther, what he did took incredible courage. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many times in his life where he was meeting with people or going somewhere to speak, um, that he could have been arrested, could have been killed, could have been robbed in the woods. Um, you know, Rome, Rome had a bounty on his head Yes, and, um, would have uh, jumped at the opportunity to, uh, to, to put him on a pyre and roast him alive. Um, but God sovereignly protected him. And, um, now that, that, that's not to say that God, would protect you. Mm. Uh, I think of John Huss, yes, mm-hmm. who <clears throat> a, a proto reformer. Yep. Uh, he he went to the stake. He did, and um, and Luther knew of Huss, if I remember yeah. correctly, and yep. knew he, of his fate. Um, yep. And uh, which which to me heightens um, the the clear courage Luther showed. Um, mm-hmm. You know, knowing, of course, I think I heard R.C. Sproul give that great lecture where he. He kind of burst the bubble of Hollywood by saying, right, that he, he was given the opportunity, will you now recant? And, of course, he says, I cannot, will not my scripture. It's not good or safe to go against conscience. Um, held captive by the word of God, here I stand, can do no other. God, help me, and rides off into the sunset. And if I remember rightly, it's been a while, that Luther requested a little more time to think uh, and pray, which uh, I love because he was a dude. Mm-hmm. Like we are, but after that time to contemplate and pray, etc., um, he did not recant. He did take his stand at great personal risk. Um, so I, uh, I, I am with you, Phil. I, I knew, I thought you would feel that way. That I think we should let Luther embolden us a little bit. I, <clears throat> I do get bothered that it's a sacred cow now. Well, let's not bring up anything divisive. 
um, you know, about uh, the Catholic Church, etc. I don't know why we can't speak in a charitable way, but still a very clear way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I will. I will never understand, uh, even within the church, uh, this generation's aversion to saying things clearly and with conviction, and and to to call a spade a spade. I, I don't get that. Yeah, I, I do not get that. Yeah, that's one of those things I, I have heard Piper talk about many times, which I like. Is he said, "Truth has sharp edges." which means you should be able to say it's this, not that. Right. You know, here's where the edge runs out. Mm-hmm. So anything past that is not right. Yeah. Um, and truth is like that. It, it cuts. There are sharp edges to it. It's this, not that. And I noticed a lot of the even more modern doctrinal statements, like I was at the first Together for the Gospel conference in 06, um, when it was small, it was only 3,000 people before it came 30,000 people. Uh, and um, we were all crammed into the Galt House Hotel. And uh, they showed us, I think, the initial draft. It may have been tweaked since then. Um, sort of, a, it's not on par with a uh, you know, Westminster Catechism or um, you know, the London Baptist Confession or something like that. But it is a statement from... Uh, men who wanted to uh, bring some clarity with issues like open view theism, relativism, the emergent church, all the things that were sort of uh, coming to a head and still are to uh, one degree or another. And their statement, I believe, is a this, not that. We actually at our church have an elder document that is a a more clarified statement of uh, belief that that's a little more specific than even what a member would uh, sign on to. And we have our reasons for that in a, mm-hmm. in a non-denominational church that we would, would capture some very important distinctives to us. But we have a this, not that approach. You know, it's sort of the, um, uh, you know, even famous passages like John fourteen six have a positive affirmation and a negative reinforcement, right? Mm-hmm. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Positive. No one comes to the Father but through me. Just keeps it tighter, and I I appreciate that about Luther. Uh, is he sometimes his foot was in his mouth? Sometimes he you wondered uh, if he had a little more ale than uh, than was wise <laughs> before uh, taking pen to paper. But there was um, a gutsy. I, I think you used the term for I liked at the beginning of this talk tonight. Earthiness. I like that. Uh, yeah, and that, that's a very Protestant thing to do. Um, yeah. We we used to write confessions at the drop of a hat. Yeah, because we believed that these things were so important. And you know, as I'm trying to remember which confession has it, but talks about you know we will offer our tongues to knives and our heads to the platter and mm. you know our, our necks to the rope and our bodies to the flame before we give these things up. Yeah. And that was the mindset of Luther and, and, and Calvin and, and, uh, and all those who, who, uh, who, who, who bowed before a Roman empire and said, before I let you take the word of God from me, strike off my head. Um, and I look at the state of Christianity today and I was like, Oh, we're in so much trouble because we don't write confessions anymore. We write statements of faith. We write, Mm -hmm. you know, a little, this is, this is what our church thinks about it. Mm Mm-hmm. It's not. It's not rooted in a deep, robust history anymore. Um, 
That's a that's a good point. Mm. But yes, but to to have a to have a, a confession, that's very Protestant of you. And that, that's to be applauded. Yeah. So Phil and Greg, let me let me ask you guys this, because I think um, as a Protestant church, we are you know facing. Uh, issues and you guys have alluded to that. You know we have uh, you know the churches uh, such as Joel Osteen's church, which is all about the health, wealth, and prosperity, and uh, you know a huge uh, you know talk about blinding the eyes of the unbelievers. You know this is a gospel that's not really a gospel that does blind people to sure. the truth of the gospel. We Absolutely. have Rob's Bell quote unquote gospel that you know gotcha. talks about you know how. Um, you know, nobody's going to be uh, in hell and hey, man. How love covers all, all love wins, man. That's right. Um, so how how do we engage with these types of uh, people who who claim to be on our side, who claim to be believers? They're clearly not. There's clearly something wrong. Um, how do we engage in that? Because I got to tell you, um, I've really just stopped engaging with people on Facebook because to me, that is one of the worst ways for a conversation to just spiral out of control and 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 die and get lost in in the 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 web universe for all to see, and that's not a good thing. How, how do we engage in that in a thoughtful, clear way that shows that this clearly is not the gospel? This clearly is wrong. Uh, you know, an, an in-house reformation, uh, so to speak, in America. I mean. Oh, man. Notice, I, notice I'm letting Phil take that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm going to let him fall. Oh, sword, I, I, I almost want to say I'll get back to you when I figure that out. <laughs> right. <laughs> See, wise planning. You're ensuring a part three, <laughs> Phil. I like it. Um, it. It takes such a balance of patience and grace, but yet you, you have to say this, not that. And you have to do it in such a way that it's not abusive. It's not, you know, it's not a, um, it's not a paddle to the rear end, but it's more of a gentle leading. Um, but you also, you, you, you do need to know when, when the time has come to throw up the hands and, and to take the gloves off and, and be like, listen, it's this, not that. Mm-hmm. And if you, don't get this right. Listen, your your soul is in mortal danger. Yeah. Um, I think uh, I think largely about um, oh the uh, the feud between the uh, the sheologians and and uh, Jory Micah or Mrs. Peterson. Um, and I just think she's a person who's just so sensitive. Who, if you say um, maybe it you know it's block, it's you're a horrible person, it's it's gun, but you know at some point you need to say listen. Your soul is in mortal danger for believing this, mm-hmm. and you need to repent. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I mean, absolutely. Isn't that, in fact, what we go to? I mean, it, it, to me, one of the most telling passages, we uh, alluded to it earlier, Phil, is in, in Romans 10, where Paul today would have been advised that he said enough because he testifies to the Jews' sincerity. Um, and their enthusiasm. And I think the word sincerity is very interesting. That He can personally testify how sincere they are. Today, that's almost a new orthodoxy. 
Look, yeah. how, look how sincere he is or she is before God, as if God is sort of, oh, well, golly gee, that you're giving it the college try. <laughs> and, you know, it's it's the old idea that, hey, uh, you you can be sincerely wrong. Exactly. You know? I mean, I can I can for some reason believe that my car is um, is going to go off the the uh, the edge of a of a uh, bridge under repair. You know where uh, there's a hundred foot gap and uh, rocky waters beneath. I can believe that my car is going to sprout wings. I mean, and you, I could pass a lie detector. Um, I could, for whatever reason, hallucinogenic dream. Uh, faulty wiring in my brain, believe all that. But I think we all know I'm going to plunge to my death. Mm-hmm. Unless you're though. driving Lola. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I don't uh, have that problem. Yeah. <laughs> I don't have that either, dude. Uh, yes, and it's – oh, I just um, – anyway, Phil, we, we appreciate that about you, about uh, your ministry online and other places uh, that you have sought to bring and cherish the clarity of the gospel – this, not that. Um, very, very good. We are um, we are actually wrapping down and, and out of time here. Dude, that but, went fast. See what I happens know. when King calls? Oh, he takes up all of our time. <laughs> Thanks a lot, James. <laughs> I hope you didn't hear me say that. I, don't, <laughs> I was going to say, he's going to call back again. I don't want to be targeted next. <laughs> I don't have Phil's training. <laughs> if, if you want to know, he's currently pacing in front of the phone. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, he picked. Oh, he picked it up. Now he put it back down. Oh, <laughs> he picked it up. He put it back. He walked away. Oh, now he's back with the sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> Is I he wearing polyester pants? That's my number one question. Um. Well, I'm glad he's wearing pants. Yeah. Um, actually, it's not pants. It's it's pink heart uh, boxer yeah. shorts. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. Phil, as always, it was uh, a pleasure having you on and really enjoyed it. And we just want our uh, listeners, you know, to be uh, thinking and contemplating this stuff. You know, we made a strong case for um, Halloween and enjoying uh, everything that the holiday has to offer, you know, at this point in history. But also never forget um, the history of the church because, um, you know, in that, you know, it's just it, time and time again, you know, when you forget history, it's, it's doomed to repeat itself. Yes. Yes. Um, and so we, we always want to be mindful of that. So thank you so much, Phil, for coming on and joining us and talking fun, about guys. it. It's so much fun. Yes. Thank you, Phil. So we're going to go ahead and sign off now. Greg, Phil, we just rock the Casbah. Shield style. These go to 11.